what we've come to recognize is most people in their life is they don't live life with a full heart. They kind of live life half-heartedly. And it's not like an intentional thing. It's just they don't have anything in their life to give. And so they just go around and they're just kind of empty and they're just struggling, just hoping to make it through another day or the next big event or the, the next great thing that's coming. But day to day, they don't really have a full life. There's nothing really coming out of their life because they're empty on the inside or half full or half empty. It de- depends on whether you're a, a pessimist or an optimist, right? Is, ha- is your heart half full? Is your heart half empty? And uh, most of us would agree that, that we've learned at, at points and times in our life to function at a heart that wasn't full. You know what I'm saying? We were able to do things, but it didn't even have any heart behind it. Maybe we had a lot of discipline, so that kept us doing the things that we knew we needed to do, but we, we, but we didn't feel like doing those things. And I believe that God wants to have such a connection with the human heart that whenever you, whenever you do obey Him, whenever you do do the things that you're supposed to, you actually get pleasure out of doing those things. Oh, come on. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says this, My son, pay attention to what I see, what I, what I say. Now this is, this is King Solomon. We know Solomon was a man of wisdom. This is Solomon speaking to his son. He was like, this is important. He's saying, pay attention. Turn your ear to my words. Pay attention. Twice he says it. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those that find them and health to one's body. So he's saying, the words that I'm telling you, what I'm about to say to you right now is very important. In fact, it'll even make you feel better physically, even life to your body. And this is what he says, above all else. Oh, now scripture, I believe scripture is absolutely true. But whenever it says above all else, that's like brings it brings when I say above all else to a whole nother level. Like I can say, oh man, this is the most important thing. But this is what this says above all else. This is the most important thing. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Or one translation says, for it is the wellspring of life. It is how we live. If you want to have a full life, then you have to have a full heart. So we understand that if our heart is healthy, then we function properly. Last week, we talked about a little bit about the human heart. We talked about, man, we can't really change the heart. You can't change your heart. You can change your actions. You can do all different kinds of things, but you can't change your heart. But there are some things that you can do to your heart. Now we know that God can change our heart. Come on. But these are the things that you can do to your heart. First of all, you can lead your heart. Y'all remember that last week? We talked about that. You can lead your heart. And what does that mean? That means that you understand where it is and you understand where it needs to be and you're taking it there. So you say, heart, this is where we're going to be right? You got to lead your heart. You can't just go, well, I'm just kind of, you know, I just, I kind of feel like this today. So I'm going to do what I feel. No, sometimes you've got to lead and get yourself to the place where you do feel it, right? Come on. There's some things. And I, I talked about this last week, man. I, when I first came to Jesus, I didn't know how to, I, I hated praying, but as I prayed and I led my heart and I spent time in prayer, then I learned to fall in love with prayer. And now I enjoy prayer. But I would have never done that if I didn't do it. It's good. Okay, and so, then the second thing, so we said you can lead it. Then we said well, you can feed it. What does that mean? You're putting good things in your heart, right? Jesus said a, a, a good man does good from the good that is what? Stored in his heart. So how does it get stored there? Well, you put it there. Good, good don't just come out of your heart because you're born. In fact, only evil comes out of your heart just because you're born, right? So Jesus says... The good things that a man does comes from the good things that are in his heart. And the evil things that a man does, does an evil thing. And we've been lied to. We talked about that. We've been lied to. 
that the world has told us, oh, you can have bad actions, but you still have a good heart. When scripture teaches totally the contrary, that your actions actually reveal what's in your heart. The overflow, the things that you say, well, you know, I just, I talk like this all the time. I'm really negative, but I have a positive heart. (laughs) No, it's not true. And then third of all, we said you can need your heart. And this is where we spent a lot of focus last week. And I'm kind of recapping because it's important, but it's, but, but what we talked about needing our heart is uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. It says the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman uses in making bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in there, three measures of flour, it, it, in a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And we talked about that. That's what God does. That's where God comes in. So we lead our heart and we feed it, but it's really God who needs our heart. And I talked about my wife, she makes cakes and she makes this stuff called fondant. And what fondant is, is it's kind of a coating that you put on. It's like a candy coating that you put on cake is really kind of what it is. But it's, it's a dough. And a lot of times she would try to make that dough red, right? It's a sticky dough. And she said, man, you got to make it red. But with red was the hardest color to make it. So, man, she would have to put a bunch of food coloring, red food coloring. And then she would knead it. Man, she'd be working it, throwing elbows in there and working it. You know, get them on the counter, putting knees on. And she worked that dough, that fondant, until it became the color that she wanted it to be. And we talked about that's how God is doing us, and that's how he is in our lives, is he's continually needing our heart. He's continually working in our heart to transform us so that our hearts will be good. Come on, are you with me? So tonight, we're talking about something else. We got the title there, right? We got that title. So we talked about that last week, that other title. This week, we are talking about The woman, the well, and the womb. Or a woman, a well, and a womb. And there's this story, and it's familiar to most of us, we're going to share on tonight. But check this out. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. God says this. God says, my people have committed two sins. There's two things. First of all, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot contain water. So Jesus says, I have a problem with you, okay? Now he's talking to his people, right? I'm like, oh, you've forsaken me? And secondly, you've dug your own cisterns. What a cistern is, is is when, when... during a dry season or something like that, a cistern was a, was a container for water. It wasn't a well. It didn't always have water in it. But during a rainy season, the only way you could get water in it is if you put water in it, right? And so what they would do is they would go out to these rocky areas where stone was, was and they would dig out probably where mud had been, and they would clean it out. And so it would become like a holding tank for water. So when it rained, water would set in the cistern. Well, what would happen is the cisterns, after, after time, they would crack. And so people would get plaster, they'd make plaster, and they put plaster in there and try to make it a little bit better, but it still wouldn't hold water. And so God says, I have two problems. You've forsaken me, the wellspring of water, and you've provided cisterns, containers that are broken. So what he's saying is like, man, this is a big deal because I want you to contain something, but you can't contain it. So it's not it's because of sin because God's mean and mad. It's a sin because God is creating us to contain things and we can't contain them. So it's really, it's a sin. It jacks us up. It's not really because God just wants to be mean and put limitations on your life. No, it's because God has created you for greatness. God has created you to experience. God has created all these things for you. But what happens is you can't contain those things because you're cracked. 
Ouch. Right? So tonight I want to talk about a woman who is a broken cistern, who is a cracked vessel, a cracked container. And it says this in John chapter 4, verse 6. Most of us are familiar with the story. It says, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Everybody say, he was tired. He sat down by the well. Now, this was Jacob's well, and it was about the sixth hour. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town but buy food. And then the Samaritan woman said to him, well, you, you're a Jew, and, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How many know she's missing it? She's missing it. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water, the well that they're sitting at, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't ever get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Again, she misses it. And he told her, after he sees the second time that he misses it, she's probably not going to get it. So he tells her, go call your husband and come back. Um, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not even your husband. And what you have just said is quite true. Sir, said the woman. I can see that you are a prophet. So here's Jesus, okay? Tired, wore out. Now, I've been tired and wore out before. And the last thing I want to do when I'm tired and wore out is give out. You know what I'm saying? Is give something that I have. Because probably all I have is the only thing that's keeping me awake or sitting up or whatever. So Jesus is tired. He sits down, and this woman shows up. Now, there's a few things about this woman. First of all, she's a woman, Right? She's a woman. Okay? So it's a woman. You say, well, okay, what's the big deal? We know she's a woman. It says she. It says she's a woman. Well, this is the deal. In those times, it was inappropriate for a man to speak in, to a woman in public. In fact, you wouldn't, a man, a Hebrew man in those days, in the customs of those days, wouldn't even speak to his wife. He wouldn't even speak to his daughter. He wouldn't speak to his mother. He wouldn't talk to any woman in public. It was considered disgraceful. So it's a big deal that Jesus is talking to this woman. And she's kind of freaking out. She's like, whoa. Well, not only is she a woman, number two, she was a Samaritan. A Samaritan woman. So here you got, she's a woman, and now she's a Samaritan. Some of you are thinking, well, what's a Samaritan? Well, what a Samaritan is, is Samaria is the area that is north of Israel. And what happened is, is the Babylonians came in and... Uh, and the, the Assyrians came in, and they dominated that point of the land, and they began to intermingle and, and, and have marry the, the people that were there, marry the Jewish people. And so what happened is the Jews that lived in that part, which is referred to as Samaria, were basically half Jewish. 
They weren't complete Jews. Well, the Jews were ticked because that land didn't really belong to them anymore. So they had big problems with anyone that was a Samaritan. That's why scripture talks so much about when someone is from Samaritan and they make a big deal of it. Okay? It's because they were considered kind of, uh, if you will, let me use the word, kind of half-breeds. Okay? This is how they viewed them. And they thought, oh, this is, they're terrible. They actually viewed Samaritans and called Samaritans dogs. This was the terminology of the day that they would use. So this was really an issue of racism. Right? So Jesus is like showing up there and he's talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus doesn't have a problem with it. God doesn't have a problem with it. But everybody else does. Oh. So Jesus speaks to her. And third thing is she was immoral. She was an immoral woman, an immoral Samaritan woman. Now, what is Jesus talking? Jesus, the son of God, what is he doing talking to an immoral Samaritan woman? Street three strikes you out, right? I mean, there's like three reasons that Jesus should not be talking to this woman. Fourth of all, this woman was guilty. Because of her immorality, she was a guilty woman. And she was probably ridden with shame. Here's a woman that got up every day of her life living with a heart that was half full. Or maybe not even that way. She got up and she went about her business. And one day she was doing the same thing that she did yesterday and the day before that, the day before and the month before that and the year before that. And she shows up to get water. Probably... For this man that doesn't appreciate her, that won't even put a ring on it, come on. And every day she comes to this well to get water. I propose that she lived in fear with her past. That, that, that all of a sudden her past was catching up with her and she met this prophet She says, sir, I see that you're a prophet. She starts freaking out. I mean, she tried to avoid Jesus, right? She says, what are you doing talking to me? She's trying to kind of blow him off. Jesus starts trying to deal with heart issues, and she's like, well, the well's right here. And Jesus is like, no, the well's right there. And the well's right here. And so Jesus says, starts speaking to her, and she's, she recognizes he's a prophet. Now, when we see that, we're like, oh, yeah, of course she thinks he's a prophet because Jesus just told her about all these things that she ever did. You've got to understand something about the culture of this time. Adultery wasn't like it is in America today, okay? It was actually frowned upon. <laughs> in fact, there were laws for people, and her being a Samaritan woman, she knew what those laws were. If you were ever caught in adultery, you were killed, Okay, what is adultery? Adultery is sex outside of the marriage union. So what would happen is if someone caught her doing this, she would be killed. Now, she's freaking out, okay? She's not like, oh, okay, Jesus. Like, she's like tripping because she's like, he called me out. He knows. I've been trying to hide this all my life, and this man knows. Sir, I see you're a prophet. Check this out. In Numbers chapter 5, there's a trial that happens called the trial of jealousy. What the trial of jealousy is, is, it, is it's, a, it's an ordeal that happens in, in, the, 
in the, in the temple. And if a husband suspects his wife is cheating on him, just suspects his wife is cheating on him, then what he does is he takes her. Now, she isn't caught in the act of adultery, okay? But he suspects she's committing adultery. So what he does is he takes his wife to the priest. And when he gets there before the priest, and again, this is Old Testament, you know, hardcore, kind of, uh. So when he takes this woman to the priest, he brings some flour, okay, some barley, and he's there. And then what happens is the priest would make like this, the only way I know how to describe it is like a potion. Now, it wasn't a magic potion, but he makes this potion. So what he does is he reaches down on the bottom of the floor, of the temple floor, and picks up some dust, and he puts it in holy water, okay? So he puts it in this holy water, and he mixes it up, and then he gives it to the woman to drink. You can read all about it in in Numbers chapter 15. So he gives this woman this drink. Now, this is what's crazy. They call it bitter water. Bitter because it tastes like dirt because it came off the floor, and bitter because of what it does to the person that drinks it. That's guilty. Now, if the person isn't guilty, then nothing happens. It's all good in the hood, right? However, if the woman had been in adultery, he suspected she was in adultery, and she drank this bitter water, then what ended up happening to this woman is her womb dried out, and she was no longer able to produce. Okay? Now, if she wasn't guilty, it was a supernatural thing, all this kind of stuff. So here, here you have this woman who has this in the back of her mind, who's probably been living with it for years, decades, possibly. And she shows up already shameful, and a man speaks to her. That felt pretty good. And then he says, but this is where you're at. This is what you're doing. Oh, if it was me, I'd say, Jesus, help me. But she didn't know that yet. And she's ridden with even more guilt, more shame, because she recognizes that Jesus could give her bitter water. Are you with me? Jesus represents the temple. But Jesus didn't give her bitter water. It's interesting that Jesus said, I give you water that will produce. See, here's a woman... This is the other thing that we know about this woman is that she was broken. I mean, what woman is it that's been through four marriages and a serious guy that won't put the ring on it? What woman is it? I propose that this woman, at one time in her life, she had a dream. I believe that she had a dream of having children. I believe that she had a dream of having a man that loved her. Every woman dreams this. But she made too many mistakes for that dream to come true. Where was she going to go? She wasn't going to go anywhere. She was going to live life half-heartedly. So Jesus, instead of just giving her the water, he tries to fix the container. Are you with me? The broken cistern. This woman was broken in her ability to contain what God had purposed for her. She couldn't contain what Jesus wanted to do in her life. She couldn't contain any more dreams. 
She's just a woman that was beat down, that was broken. Society, a lot of the upper class society considered her a dog. Broken, wounded. However, Jesus. However, Jesus shows up. And see what Jesus does is he repairs what is broken. Listen, Jesus wants to renew the dreams. But first, he must repair the dreamer. See, Jesus wants to give you dreams. But he wants to give you dreams that will produce. He wants to give you dreams that aren't going to leak out. Come on, he wants to give you passion that is, that is eternal, that builds upon, that doesn't run out, that you don't lose. This is why God has a problem with broken cisterns, because they can't contain what God wants to do. So what Jesus does is he repairs what is broken. Listen, Jesus will never give, you, give us what we need without giving us the means to contain what we need. This is why Jesus, why did Jesus point out her sin? Jesus pointed out her sin because she needed to know that this was the thing that was keeping her from her destiny. So Jesus wasn't being condemning. He was saying, listen, this is where you're at. This is where you need to be. I love what Psalm 34, 18 says. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those that are crushed in spirit. I don't know about you, but I've felt that way before. Crushed in spirit. Have you ever felt that way? Like you're just crushed? Have you ever felt broken, brokenhearted? Well, check this out. Scripture says that God is close to the brokenhearted. It's funny that when we're brokenhearted, that's whenever we feel so far away from God, right? We're like, oh, God, here I am. I'm all alone. It's just me, right? We see this. We see it in Scripture. People happen to people in Scripture. It happens to people today, right? When we're broken, when we're brokenhearted, whenever our hearts are jacked up, whenever our spirit feels crushed, that's when God feels the furthest away. And the enemy will come in and he'll say, you know what? God isn't close. God isn't near. Look, he's abandoned you. Nobody else loves you. Da, 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 on and on and on and on. But it says this, that God is close to the brokenhearted. See, Jesus isn't interested in your, you being heartbroken. People think, oh, yeah, I guess God, it was just God's plan. No, it wasn't. God's plan isn't for you to be brokenhearted. God's plan is for you to be broken and humble before him. But God isn't, God's plan for you isn't for you to walk around with no dignity. Come on. God has good things for you. So Jesus repairs the broken. Number two, Jesus, what it does what it takes to meet needs. Here Jesus is tired. Now Jesus, we know, Jesus is God. When he says, I am, I am, whenever she, she begins to talk about the Messiah in the scripture here, and she says, oh yeah, we know this, the, the Messiah is supposed to come, and Jesus goes, well, I am he. When he says, I am, it's that same word that we see in the Old Testament where it says, God says, I am. So when Jesus says, I am, he's not just saying, I am the Messiah, he's saying, I am God. This is what the Messiah is. The Messiah is God. So when Jesus says this, he makes a statement about himself. But here he is, Jesus, tired, okay? I don't get off there. He's tired. He's wore out. And here's a needy woman. I've been doing ministry for a long time. And I know that by the end of a service sometimes, I'm wore out. And I know there's been times in my life where I've been like, Man, just, you know, call me tomorrow or, you know, send me an email or something. But don't, don't bug me with your issues tonight. 
I've felt that way. I know that's wrong, but I felt that way. I'm just being honest with you. And our, you know, Jesus isn't like that. He's not like, he doesn't, there's no even, no even desire in him going, oh, another one? No, it's his pleasure. It's his pleasure to meet needs. So whatever your need is, it's his pleasure to meet it. He's not, he's not dangling the carrot in front of you trying to get you, oh, if you just going to do this, and I'll get you where you need to be. Get over it. Jesus was doing something shady. Shady Jesus, right? Not slim shady Jesus, just shady Jesus. Shady Jesus talking to a woman. I mean, could you see the religious people, if they weren't alone and there was religious people, could you oh, talking to a woman? What are you doing, Jesus? A Hebrew man talking to a woman? Shady Jesus. Shady Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman? A Samaritan Jesus. What are you thinking? Jesus is thinking, here's a broken woman who needs some living water. Shady Jesus alone with a woman at a well. Now, you can study scripture and you can find out that people like Moses... You find people like Jacob, and you can find people like Isaac in Scripture. They met their wives at, at wells. Oh, shady Jesus, right? What are you doing, Jesus? The disciples went off into town. Here's Jesus at this well with a woman. Can you imagine what people thought? But Jesus wasn't concerned about what people thought. He wasn't concerned about the opinions. He was concerned about this woman. He was tired. He was wore out. But there was a woman in need. Third of all, Jesus opens wells and wombs. Jesus opens wells and wombs. Listen, the thing that wells and wombs have in common is they both reproduce, right? You go to a well, gives you water, right? You have a womb, you can put something alive in there, right? So, babies, right? So, really... Our heart, listen, our heart is the womb of desire. Our heart is, is, is the womb of our dreams, right? That's why when we get discouraged, when we feel in despair, when we're heartbroken, we can't dream, right? All we can think is, I can just, our dream is like, can I get through the day, right? But whenever we feel like we have a full heart, we're like, oh, man, let's, let's do it. What do you want to do? I'm going to take on the world, right? And then what happens? You fail a couple times, a disappointment sets in, you're heartbroken. Oh. Can't do anything. So for so feel sorry for myself. Right? I'm not hating on you, but I'm saying, listen, there's more. Because Jesus opens wombs. Perhaps Jesus, perhaps Jesus was inspiring this woman that maybe her dream still could come true. Maybe she could begin again. Maybe when Jesus talked about this living water, maybe he was saying to her, hey, listen, I'm not going to give you water that's going to make you barren. I'm going to give you water that will make you live, but not only you live, but you cause other people to live too. Listen, Jesus doesn't give us this living water just to quench our thirst. Living water doesn't mean, oh, it's in me and oh, I feel so good. Let's go to church, right? That's not what living water is. Living water is water that reproduces. Listen. 
Then, verse 28, leaving her water jar. I love this. She came here to get water. She's going back without that kind of water, but with a different kind of water. And she runs into the town. This is what it says. The woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? And then people came from the town and made their ways towards him. In verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans, many came from the town and believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What happened? Did she get a drink? She did get a drink. She also became a well, and she produced belief in those that didn't believe. And this is what Jesus wants to do with you. He doesn't want to just give you enough to survive and enough just to quench your thirst. He wants to create in you a wellspring. This is what overflow is all about. He wants to create in you a wellspring. He didn't want you to just come and drink. Oh, drink, 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 drink from, drink from the well over here. Drink, drink. I'll just go, oh, here I come Sunday. I'll drink. Here comes my quiet time. I'm going to drink. No, no, no. Jesus said, I'm going to put inside of you a well. A self-sustaining well. John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water coming out of them. So what did we see in this woman? We saw her quench her thirst. But greater than that, she went and quenched the thirst of those that needed to be quenched. So you say, what about wombs? Well, Jesus may or may not have been. I think he was alluding to the fact of her physical womb. But I guarantee you he was alluding to the womb of her spirit. I guarantee you Jesus is like, I'm going to fix you so you can dream. I'm going to fix you so you can become a well. I'm going to fix you where you won't be known because you'll sleep with every guy that's around. You will be known because you have living water coming out of you. Listen, we can't fix the issues of the human heart. We can't, right? We can go to therapy. We can go to counseling. We can go to Bible studies. We can go to church. Come on, we can do all these things to try to deal with the human heart and not change it. Only Jesus can heal the human heart, not time. Someone that says time heals all wounds is a liar. Time doesn't heal all wounds. You know what time does? Time makes you bitter, And I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in being bitter. I'm interested in being better. And the only difference between bitter and better is I. So I make the choice to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, that still hurts. I know, Lord, that it's been 20 years, but it still hurts. And I know that you are the womb healer. And I know I don't dream like I used to dream, Jesus. So, Lord, I want to dream a little better. So, Lord, would you come? Would you heal the wound of my spirit? The womb of my spirit so I can be one who dreams again. So I can be one that can carry out this life-giving power, the Holy Spirit that Jesus speaks of. So I can give Jesus to the people that are around me. So every area of my life will be transformed. So that everybody that is around me will know who Jesus is.